Hey everyone, welcome to the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I am your host, the Amateur Gourmet, Adam Roberts, and I am so excited about this week's episode, which is all about barbecue. And who better to talk about barbecue than the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin Bloodsoe of Bloodsoe's Barbecue here in LA. Kevin is a two-time Steve Harvey Hoodie Award winner, a judge on the hit Netflix barbecue competition show, The American Barbecue Showdown, and now he's the author of a brand new cookbook, The Bloodsoe Family Cookbook, Barbecue Soul Food and Family from Compton to Corsicana, and he co-authored it with my friend Noah Galutin, and both of them are on the show today, and they explain everything that you've ever wanted to know about barbecue. But first, I've got some exciting news. I've got a brand new YouTube show, which I very creatively called the Amateur Gourmet Cooking Show. Is that what I called it? No, it's just called the Amateur Gourmet Show. And it's live now. And my first episode, Hail Caesar, shows you my top secret recipe for making a Caesar salad. It's probably my most popular recipe that I make in my friend group. They're like, how do you make your Caesar? So I show you how to make it in this week's episode. And to to tell you a little bit more about it, I invited on my director and editor, Christopher Lawrence, who's going to help tell the story of how this whole show came about. So here's Christopher. Um, Well, hey there, Christopher. How's it going? Hi, Adam. It's going good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Well, I am so excited that our video series launched this week. Has your life changed dramatically since our YouTube show dropped? I mean, the people stopping me in the street. It's just not stop. Well, I thought it would be fun to talk to you about this because, you know, I'm, obviously I'm going to promote this in my podcast, but it, it feels more natural just to talk to you about how we came up with this and what the process was. So I'll tell the story from my perspective and maybe you can jump in. But I knew that I wanted to make some kind of web show for YouTube where I did some cooking, but I don't have any skills as a you know videographer. I don't have any skills as an editor or a director. So I did a call on my Instagram Um, stories where I was like, if anybody wants to help me with this, I would love that. And then nobody responded until I noticed there was a response like in my, like, you know, where like messages go, where like, you know, they don't show up right away. You have to like find them. Well, so I found your response like in there and maybe you can take it from here. Yeah. So um, my husband's sisters and my sister-in-law actually follows you. And um, she has great taste. I really like her. Such wonderful taste. Call out to the picky girl. Um, Yeah. So she said (laughs) she connected me. She sent me the post and um, I kind of I didn't take a screenshot of it. And I was like, that's a good idea. I'll do this when I have time. And then, of course, the story went away. And so I had to reach back out to her. I was like, who is this person? What's the deal here? <laughs> and she had been following you for years, apparently. Um, and so she suggested that I reach out. And, you know, the rest was rest was history. We met up and it all seemed to align. Yeah. Well, we met at Dinosaur Coffee, which is my favorite coffee shop. And um, we sat outside and we kind of talked about our vision for the show. Uh, because, you know, as simple as it is to do a cooking show or the idea of a cooking show, there's lots of ways you can go. You can do like a really flashy one. You can do a really polished one, like with like, you know, big lights on a big set. But I think we both agreed that like scrappier and rough around the edges was both of our aesthetics and easier for us to do on some level. It definitely easier, definitely easier for us to do. And it was kind of, you know, uh, a learning curve for both of us, but it kind of allowed us to get creative and, and have fun with it versus making it this like very buttoned up and, and super polished. It allowed us both to kind of show our individuality and creativity and keep it fun and, you know, engaging, hopefully. 
And it also allowed you plenty of opportunities to poke fun at the host yeah, in I, the edit room. <laughs> I feel like half of my job is making fun of Adam. <laughs> so. Yeah, it is. Well, it's funny. It actually works perfectly. So like my whole brand obviously is like amateur gourmet. So anytime I screw up in the kitchen, I could just see Christopher licking his chops. He's like, oh, I'm so going to like highlight this in the video. And I do. And I do. You do. So let's tell everyone about this. So, the, so first of all, if you want to find the show, it's the Amateur Gourmet Show on YouTube and you should subscribe to it and leave comments and join the community. But our first episode went up this week and it was our Caesar salad episode, which was the very first one that we shot. And so you came to my apartment. Were you surprised at all when you saw my kitchen? Uh, I I honestly had no expectations whatsoever, but I was expecting as someone that like cooks all the time to just be this giant grand Los Angeles kitchen. And then I was like, oh, you have my kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> but you just use it much better than I do. <laughs> it's a small kitchen. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, when they come here, like, oh, that's just not how I pictured it. Like they, cause I put it on my Instagram stories and they're like, oh, maybe it's a huge kitchen, but it's not a huge kitchen, but you got here. And so then we, we kind of fiddled around that first day with like a tripod. I, it's so funny if you watch the video carefully, oh, you don't even have to watch that carefully. I notice it every time I watch it, but there's a giant box of tissues that Christopher like balanced the, like a tripod on. So when the, when he's holding a camera and it cuts like towards the window, you'll see a box of tissue. So we were just finding our way in that first episode. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yes, there are little surprise cameos from Kleenex boxes. Um, but yeah, we got creative. So that first episode we shot, so I made the Caesar salad. And so was was that something that like you were excited to eat because that's a part of the process has been Christopher (laughs) sort of like nudging me in certain directions. Like the time he made me make him a cake because he was craving cake. Exactly. Uh, I honestly, everything you've made, I've devoured within seconds of being at the house and then (laughs) try to bring back anything home with uh, me to feed my husband. And Adam has been very kind and uh, letting me basically bring home everything. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I am really kind. Yeah. All right. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> no, no, it's actually nice because I've been trying to lose weight from the pandemic. So when I make a giant cake, it's like, here, take it. Yeah. You, you can eat it. He's just fattening us up. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, but in terms of like, like your relationship to cooking and food, like, do you feel like being in the kitchen with me, like that you yourself, or I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but are you learning yourself as this goes along? Or is it more just about the fun of being in the kitchen with the amateur? Yeah, no, I'm definitely learning like tips here and there. So I actually do love to cook. I just usually follow more recipes or I'll get, you know, those, those uh, boxes that come in the mail where you didn't have to prep everything to make it. Um, So this just kind of gives me more tips when I can be inspired to make something that I might not have like had everything delivered to my door to make. Uh-huh. Um, and then sometimes just taking little pieces like on the um, Caesar salad, the Hail Caesar video, just even things like the breadcrumbs. And then maybe you're not even going to use them in the salad, but they can be used on so many other things. And like Adam sent me home with a bag of those breadcrumbs and I did I put them on soups afterwards. So it's like kind of taking pieces of what I learned within that one video and then applying it to other recipes or food that I'm making. So it's actually been very, very helpful, not only just being involved in something fun like this, but actually being able to utilize the skills that, you know, you're showing everybody. 
Oh, I should hire you. You're you're good PR. <laughs> uh, so then, in terms of like going home, so part of the fun of the videos is that we're in the kitchen together, and we're you know Christopher's there watching me cook. But then a really fun part for me is then Christopher goes home into his like laboratory and puts together these videos. But it's not just you're not just like cutting it together. You're adding things to it. Most notably, like video clips, like little cartoons, little sound bites, like little animations. So I mean, how do you even start that? process like what what is your process yeah so um i would love to take all the credit on my own but basically what i do is i do a very rough cut of the video so usually we have like three cameras going on at different angles i do a rough cut of the video just to kind of tighten it up a little bit but you know our video that might be 15 minutes the full video is like an hour and a half so obviously i mean we all love you Adam, but an hour and a half is a lot of adam <laughs> so i cut hey, that down people can watch an hour of me I cut that down and then I give it to my husband, um, who is very creative, especially coming up with content that are video clips, uh, a lot on um, musicals. He is, I mean, Adam is a very big musical and Broadway fan. And while I like that stuff, I'm not versed in it as much as Adam or definitely my husband is. So he actually will go into this program where I give him the video and then timestamp and get me links to different videos and things that he's suggesting that I put in as the clip. And then I go in and kind of do all my editing, add my own stuff on top of that. And then we just do draft by draft by draft, trying to cut, cut, cut to make it tighter um, and keep you guys engaged the entire time. I had no idea that that was your process. I thought you were the one finding all these video clips. So, so Matt, your husband. I mean, Matt, I would give Matt 75% of it and probably (laughs) me 25. And then I'm more of like the pop-ups and the sounds and, all those things that are happening throughout. Um, but he's coming up with a lot of the the video clips specifically. Mm-hmm. And so we work, you know, side by side and just go back and forth. And then usually by draft five, I'm like, hey, Adam, here's draft air quotes one for you. Let me know what you think. And it's so fun because, you know, I, I Craig, my husband, says that you and I guess Matt, like, share such a similar sensibility to me because when he watches these, he's like, oh, my God, this is so your sense of humor, like, especially like the musical stuff. And it's like I didn't I, it's like I had nothing to do <laughs> with choosing any of that. It feels like I like I helped write them. But I all I did was just, you know, basically I'm the star power, um, you know, I'm an on air talent. Yeah, I'm like the Ina Garten of the show. And uh, and so it's just so cool to get to steal the credit um, for all the hard work that you guys are doing. And I mean, what her husband, what's his name? I forget his name. Oh, Jeffrey. Yeah. I'm Jeff. We're the Jeffries. Yeah. OK. Yeah, you're the Jeff. Well, well, is this the first time you and your husband have ever collaborated together? No, we've, we've done some other things together, actually, um, over the last couple of years, uh, more specifically during COVID. But we actually like incorporated this last year and became our own business to do stuff yeah. on the side. Um, and so this is kind of like the first, like, I would say, like series that we're doing together, where it's not just these one off little projects. Um, so, yeah, you're 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 first. Oh my gosh. Wow. And so we should get people excited about our upcoming videos. So you know, not to spoil anything, but our next video was video number two. And I, I will say as they go along, I feel like we got a little, a little better. Like I got more comfortable on camera. I feel like you got more comfortable like shooting the stuff. So, you know, it's like you're just get, we're just getting started here. I mean, this is just the beginning. But the next one that's coming out is next Monday is going to be my Ribolita recipe, which you guys creatively titled Adam's Rib Olita, which mm-hmm. is very fun. And and we that's try to, we that love is, a pun. I love a pun too. Um, and so that one has, um, 
you know, it's a soup that has like cabbage and kale. It's kind of healthy, but it's really delicious. And you guys did some crazy things in that one that <laughs> I think are so funny. I'm just going to spoil it, but no, you, no, you no. guys did. I won't spoil it, but Winston, my dog, makes an appearance. And let's just say you guys did something combining him and show in musical theater that blew my mind. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's the, the next video is, uh, I think it's pretty humorous. And like you said, we keep getting better and getting more comfortable as we make these. Um, so yeah, they, they continue to, uh, spark some creativity on, on all sides. And the next, uh, one after that was, was what I know that we have the cake one. We have a yellow cake with chocolate frosting. That was really fun to make. And that cake was very fun to eat at the same time. But by the end of it, I was trying to get it out of my house because it was a whole yeah. cake that Adam sent me home. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, as a cook or like as somebody who like writes about food, you quickly learn that that you need to get these things out of your house as quickly as possible or you will Smart. eat all of them. And so as, as a final question, are there any things that you'd like me to make in future videos that you haven't yet articulated to me? So, yes, I, but not necessarily a specific dish. I think it's more like I would like to have some like Thai inspiration in some food uh -huh. because that's some of my favorite food is Thai. And then also, I think I did mention this one point, like, but maybe it'd be bringing someone else in that could mm -hmm. do some dumplings or something like that. Oh, yeah. I love some dumplings. So basically, yeah. you kind of wish I was an Asian cook. <laughs> just just for like here and there. I like variety. Okay. So. Um, well, I'll do my best. I've never made, I mean, my friend Pim is like an authority on pad thai. She wrote a post once on her old food blog where it was like, this is the only way to make it. Um, so I'd be very intimidated to make it by myself, but maybe I can get her to come on and do it. And then as far as dumplings, Dumplings. I've made them before with a friend, but again, maybe that was another good one for me to have somebody come on and help me with. Um, do you think we could have two people in the kitchen? Would that be too much? No, we could make it work. I feel like we're getting the hang of it now. So yeah. I think that having some guests in the, in the kitchen would be great, you know, and add a little variety. Well, today's episode is um, with uh, Noah Gluten and Kevin Bloodsoe, who just wrote a book about smoking or barbecue uh, based on Bloodsoe's barbecue. Have you ever gone to Bloodsoe's on La Brea? It's amazing. I have and, not. Uh, but it's like all about how to barbecue food at home. So like maybe like we can like get them to come over into my backyard and like do some smoking with us. Love that. I mean, as someone from the South, um, I am definitely a big barbecue fan, so I would not be mad if that happened. All right, Christopher. Well, you've been a good sport. I've forced you on here, but you seem very natural. Maybe you should be in front of the camera. Let's like get carried away. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I'll see you on Sunday. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. So once again, if you want to watch my YouTube show, go on to YouTube and type in The Amateur Gourmet Show. It should pop up. Look for my first episode, Hail Caesar, and be sure to like and subscribe. I know that's a cliche, but it would mean a lot to me if you did. All right, now for the main event, the reason that you're probably here, my interview with Kevin Bloodsoe and Noah Gluten. So just to start out, let me congratulate you guys on this book. This is a beautiful book. How, how does it feel to have it out in the world? Oh, man, it feels... Uh like a dream come true. Yeah. It was, it sure. was Noah's dream. I was just glad to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did, you, how did you guys go about it? What was the process like? It was a, a slightly unique process. And uh, because Kevin and I have known each other, I mean, now for probably 10 years. And uh, I don't know how most people write cookbooks, to be honest. I've only, <laughs> I've only done it at books that I wrote. But yeah. uh, for me, a big part of this that's so important is, is Kevin's voice is so amazing and so distinct. 
And so what I do is uh, I just sat down with a recorder and we just did hours and hours and hours and days and weeks of recording for that side of it. And then I would transcribe it all. So I just have, you know, 70 pages or whatever of manually transcribed Kevin Bloodsoe, which is amazing, too, because you're literally writing in their voice. And then the recipes was just driving down to Texas uh, during COVID (laughs) and cooking (laughs) uh, side by side. Uh, (laughs) That actually sounds really fun. That sounds better than most people's COVID, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I brought him some uh, chilies from New Mexico and things like that. So treats from the road. Made some amazing red chili burritos with uh, New Mexico chilies and the ankles and all that stuff. We had a good anchos, what do they know? Yeah, yeah. Anchos and guajillos and those New Mexico chilies. Out of cooking. Yeah, well, I I was lucky enough. Uh, Noah gave me a copy of the book that I was able to look through and start to read, and it's really great. And and as you said, Noah, you really captured Kevin's voice. And and Kevin, you had so many great stories in there. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background, the stuff that you start. I mean, it's a it's a really big part of the book, but maybe a, a shorter version of of okay. how you got into all this. Yeah, uh, mainly like I said, my granny just uh, born and raised in Compton and being sent to. Uh, Corsicana, Texas, every summer, you know, my granny was mm-hmm. the, was the hustler. You know, she sold barbecue on the weekends, uh, had a juke joint and uh, all that. So she taught me the yeah. game and uh, taught me how to cook. And I say it all the time, short version. I never thought I was going to go into it. But, you know, here I am 30 years later doing the same thing. And so you you talk in the book about going from California to Texas and back and forth and having the best of both worlds. And I know that geography is such a big part of barbecue culture that people from mm. Carolina have strong opinions and people from Texas obviously have strong opinions. How does the California play into your barbecue? What did, what did I, that mean, I say it all to? the time because if you were coming from uh, – <laughs> from Compton and Watts and L.A., we had the best barbecue around because uh, when the uh, African-Americans were migrating from the South, they was migrating here to L.A. and Chicago. Mm-hmm. So they always talk about reasons. I tell people all the time, man, back in the 70s and the 80s, we had barbecue from Texas, Kansas City, uh, Mississippi, Cali. L.A. had it all. So I don't want to hear that BS about no reason. <laughs> L.A. had it all. And L.A. Yeah. has their own California Central Coast, has their own, own, own twist on barbecue. And that's what we did at... Uh, Bless us. Of course, we took 80% of Texas, but uh, we put some California in there too and some LA. And then uh, that's what we try to do. Anytime I'm on TV or whatever, I always give LA and California a shot because I don't think it's, uh, it gets the recognition that it does. There's some great pit masters that come from uh, California and, and LA. And I really think the future of barbecue, because it's, it's just slowly getting away. I mean, it's going to always be all old fashioned barbecue. But barbecue is so wide, you know, grilling is barbecue and mm-hmm. Santa Maria style. And there's so many different ways. So I'm not with that old, old school, you know, oh, it's got to be from here. It's got to be from there. Mm-hmm. Like I always tell Noah, you can do barbecue any way you want to do it. Just don't do bad barbecue. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you said that. It makes me feel better about, you know, being from Florida. Uh, <laughs> now, Florida, particularly- Florida's horrible. i fully agree (laughs) so okay as a starting point for me i never barbecued in my entire life i mean i've eaten it i've loved it i'm a huge blood sows fan i come there all the time and so reading your book i'm inspired um i don't think i'm gonna buy a smoker right out of the gate but uh, but you talk a bit in the book about using a grill so i was wondering if you could talk for the home cook who's never barbecued before how can we use your book to start the process and learn how to do it i mean 
I feel like me and Noah, this is what we talked about uh, when he first arrived and we first started where we wanted to make a book because some people want to make you feel like barbecue is like goddamn algebra or something. And it's not. The easiest thing you can do is learn your pit. Learn whatever pit you're working on. Learn to control the and the wood and the smoke and you cook it. It's just like an oven. You had to learn how to cook in the oven. Once you learn that pit, then you can start doing recipes. And that's what we say in the, in the, in the uh, book. Learn your pit and you can start making some amazing barbecue. You know, mm-hmm. and don't get intimidated, intimidated by it. You outside cooking. It's fun. It's a beautiful day. Friends coming over. Don't take, don't take, can we cuss on this show? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's do whatever you want. Don't take that <laughs> shit so serious. It's a party. Barbecue is <laughs> always fun. Especially now, coming off this day of pandemic, people are happy to be outside. And they over your house to eat and have a good time. They better not be judging your food. <laughs> One of the best <laughs> racks of ribs I ever had was actually, we cooked it on a Weber grill during the shoot for the cookbook down at, uh, down, uh, down, it wasn't in Compton. Where, I forget where the house oh, was. Oh, uh, Nikki's house. Yeah. And it, doing it, you know, still using wood chunks and using charcoal, but on a Weber grill. And you push all the wood to one side, which you're talking about in the books, you still get that indirect smoke and you cover it. So you've got all the, the heat on one side of the Weber and a rack of ribs. So instead of, you know, the three, four hours it takes to smoke a rack of ribs uh, on a pit, you can do it on a grill, still getting indirect smoke flavor. But it was like, what, 90 minutes, something like that you know, for a rack like of ribs. Iron, and it was iron, incredible. Iron, we did that for people who don't have, you know, like Noah would say, people on the East Coast who just got balconies and stuff like that. So. You know, we got recipes in there that they can do on a small Weber and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the whole thing about the book. We got more in-depth recipes, but then we still got starter recipes uh, for the people, you know, to like I call them the freshmen just starting off. But uh, if they read it and understand it, they can start making some great barbecue pretty real soon. But there's also like pancakes and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's also there's way more than barbecue in there, too, if you wanted to learn how to make incredible soul food or incredible i mean kevin has his twists on like you know curried oxtails and smothered chicken and stuff like that that is unbelievable so noah you started you you met kevin when when did when did your relationship start as you know working together uh i met i mean i was a fan first and i grew up in santa monica so when you're you know you, over there, you raised to believe that barbecue chicken is a is a piece of grilled chicken breast with barbecue sauce poured on it afterward. And <laughs> eventually, I went to Compton and tried blood sows, and it totally blew my mind. And then the first thing the time we really hung out was I interviewed him for LA Weekly. If you go back and Google it, you can find my original two part interview with Kevin for for LA Weekly. God, I don't know how long ago that was. Probably <laughs> ten years ago, something like that. Back when LA Weekly still existed right i think they still pay 40 bucks an article <laughs> oh great <laughs> so you guys met back then and then but you i mean i don't know the exact course of things but i know obviously now that you're affiliated with blood or the one on la brea right or how did this yeah happen? yeah so the i'll kind of do the, the quick the relatively quick version of it but no, i was a huge fan of the barbecue i went down to interview kid but before i even interviewed him i was working at the golden state this uh old burger and beer place that's no longer there on fairfax with James Starr, who's our uh, dear friend and business partner, I was just waiting tables. And we were just like, how amazing would it be if you could eat that barbecue and drink a beer and watch a game uh, like up in L.A. proper in Hollywood? And we were like, that'd be so cool. And I interviewed Kevin. He kind of talked about wanting to partner up with somebody. So we just went, let's try to figure something out. So James started pestering Kev, trying to get him to talk <laughs> to us. And Kev had a people all over going after him, trying to get him to partner with them. 
And then uh, kind of on the uh, just as an aside, he invited us to go to his granny's 90th birthday party in Corsicana, Texas. And wow. James bought tickets and we showed up <laughs> and Kev was like, damn, y'all were serious. And then, you know, <laughs> a couple of white Jews show up at the Martin Luther King Community Center in Corsicana, Texas. Cut to, <laughs> Kev always says the record scratch when we showed up, but, uh, but we, but uh, cut to, you know, three and a half hours later, I'm drinking corn rye. <laughs> We're singing, we sign it, we basically shake hands to work together. And then we didn't know what we were going to do. I was going to maybe be the GM of the restaurant, but I wanted to learn the business. So I just started right. showing up at Compton at four o'clock in the morning. Kev didn't tell him I was coming or what we were doing. And they just threw me in the back cleaning collards and peeling potatoes. And I was, you know, 28 <laughs> year old to 29 year old. I'm just going, I can't believe I get to clean collards at Bloodstone's Barbecue in Compton. So basically, you're not a collaborator. You're a stalker, is what I'm learning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Kev got some free labor out of me for a little while. Yeah. Then, uh, but I got to learn, you know, eventually it was, you know, like Kev always talked about with uh, with Granny and him, there's like some some Mr. Miyagi stuff going on with all that. The life lessons you get out of it, start learning the pit. And then uh, we never found someone to run the kitchen. So they <laughs> told me to do it. And I, uh, <laughs> definitely, uh, learned on the job a bit, but I had, I had a great teacher in it and it was kind of a hit from day one. So we had to line yeah. out the door and, and, uh, I remember speaking of no longer existing publications, LA Grub Street called mm. it, uh, the, the foodie wet dream of the century <laughs> when, yeah. it, when, when it all, when it all came together. And then, uh, yeah, we're, you know, worked together on that and then helped with other restaurants. And then we ended up opening a blood saves in Australia together and, and wow. all that stuff. It's, it's a, it's been a crazy journey. And now the book. So Kevin, in terms of when Noah came to you and, and wanted to open this on La Brea or, or open this franchise, what did you know that you'd have to teach him or how did you impart your wisdom to Noah so that he'd be able to run the kitchen? I mean, I, I, it's not even about what I had to teach him. Like I trained everybody to, the same way. I just want to see their heart. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. when when I told them to come down to uh, Bledsoe, like he said, I didn't even tell the staff. And I said right then, if, if 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 he goes home on that day, then I'm not messing with him, him or Jane. <laughs> but Noah stayed right there and and talked Felix barely speaks English. He's in the middle of Compton at four in the morning, you know. <laughs> but Noah stayed right there, and I did that for two days, and uh. After that, I was sold on him. So I, I know he knew, you know, I knew he knew what it had, what he put, what it takes to do it because it, it's a hard business. But I, that's when I see this, damn, this white dude really want to learn. So I'm going to mess with him, <laughs> you know. So I always remember uh, I said, Kev, I'm ready for those 100 hour weeks. And he said, 100 hours? What are you working part time? <laughs> well, it's funny, Noah, you mentioned being Jewish, and I was just looking through the book, and the, the, the common denominator, I think, is brisket, because my mom, and I'm sure your mom, Noah, would cook a brisket and dry it out to death so it tasted like, <laughs> no, my, my mom would put like brown sugar and like raisins. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a braise, basically, but the, yeah, actually, braise. My, my dad's side is the Jewish side. My mom, uh, my mom's Italian, so we, you know, she, she taught me how to braise mussels, but, you know. <laughs> but I guess like a brisket's a good starting point, because I just actually watched a Top Chef episode where they all had to braise, they all had to smoke a brisket in Texas. That was the challenge. And so what, let's just start with brisket as like, what can you teach us at home about dealing with brisket? What do we shop for? How do we cook it? How do you check it? How do you make sure it's good? Where do you start? I mean, you start with a fatty brisket, first of all, because especially if it's your uh, your first brisket, you want that fat on there. You want that fat cap. 
Stop looking at all them damn competition shows and all that. <laughs> Master, because you're not going to cook a competition brisket perfect at the same time. You're going to dry it. It's going to be so damn dry. You got to dip it, take a shower with it to get it moist. You don't want that. <laughs> get the fattiest right. brisket that you have and learn how to do that. And uh, and take your time. If you're going to cook it for 15 hours, it's, it's a process. I tell people all the time, you have to have to cook a brisket, especially if you're just starting, is you have to have an indirect heat on it. You know, you can do it on a Weber with the uh, charcoal inside, but you have to get it as, you want to make it, I try to make it as easy and as fun as possible. You want to have that uh, indirect, get a little cheap Oklahoma Joe's from Home Depot, Home Depot, excuse me, for 150 bucks and start on that and learn how, it, once you learn how to control your fire, you can cook an incredible brisket. As long as you can mm -hmm. keep that fire at 240 consistently, you can cook an incredible brisket. Then you, you know, it might, might, might not be the flavor that you wanted at first, but that comes with time. But just learning how to cook. I know people who have listened to what I said or what we said and cooked the perfect brisket at first. Oh, you're thinking, yeah, it might need a little bit more seasoning, but you cook a perfect, moist, juicy brisket. It's not as hard as, as, uh, as, uh, they want to, you know, that a lot. Of, and I'm not knocking people, but whatever. But I just know it's like anything else. Please learn your pit. Learn how to control the temperature, especially when they're indirect. So you can just open up, no one add wood, no one add charcoal, and keep that temperature at 250. I guarantee you 15-pound brisket your first time you can hit a home run. Really? Okay. That, that makes sense. So it, it, it sounds like the idea of braising, which, you know, the Jewish version and the idea of smoking, it's all about low and slow. It's like you want to get that fat to slowly render and you want yes. the tendons yeah. and everything to sort of slowly melt so that it's, ten, you know. But so is there a point, though, at which you can like over, over oh, yeah. render it? Yeah. yeah, you can over, you can, you can dry that damn thing out easy. That's, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That, that comes with time. But if you have a, a 15 hour brisket, and and you cook it at two forty, two fifty, or 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 twelve pound brisket. You cook at two forty, two fifty, and you keep a. It has to be a consistent temperature. If you start jumping up too high, it's gonna get. You're gonna dry it out. And then if you take it too low, you're never gonna get it complete, and it's gonna dry out. It has mm -hmm. to be a consistent temperature. And I, I stress that in the book, Adam. It has to be a. You have to learn that pit. If I sent you a pit today. And Noah, me and him just came home and had a drink with you and said, no, you smoking that brisket. And all we did was just help you, no, put one more charcoal on there. No, no, keep it at 250. I guarantee you'll pull off, uh, from what it sounds like, the best brisket your family ever had. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty easy because my mom doesn't cook. <laughs> <laughs> but also, just in case, if you do overcook it and it's starting to fall apart on you, you don't have to throw it away. You can chop that up, put some blood sauce barbecue sauce on it, and make a sandwich out of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so Noah, did you how what was your process of like adapting? I mean, you talked about interviewing Kevin and putting his words onto the page, but in terms of the actual recipes, um, how how did you both collaborate and how did you finally, you know, cuz I know that for cuz I I love to cook at home and when I like cook, you know, pasta or something, I'll just like drizzle olive oil in and I'll sprinkle it with salt, but I won't measure. And I imagine when you're doing barbecue, you're not normally measuring the amount of salt or measuring the amount of seasoning. So how did you, you know, put these into yeah. a recipe for him? Yeah. That was the most fucked up part about this. Whole. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even just go to the kitchen because he always thought I was going in there to sneak and do something. So I feel like I was with the damn 
Prince, I'm like, no, I'm going to give me a glass of water, man. You want to measure that? You know, <laughs> I mean, Noah, I tell you, that was the hardest part because every little thing had to be measured, you know? Right. But with that being said, you know, the obviously like, you know, a pot of beans or something like that is different measurement wise than a brisket because a brisket's going to have some different sizes and weight variables. So that, you know, we try to explain the feel on it a little bit, what you're looking for. You can see a picture of what kind of coverage you're looking at on your rub on the on the brisket. And, you know, the truth is it's, you know, as long as you're using the right ratio of salt and pepper, it's it's tough to, to overdo your brisket if it's a nice, like a 15 pound brisket with a huge fat cap. It's hard to oversalt that thing. Um, I mean, you can, but it's all, it's hard. Um, but then on the other stuff, you know, yeah, Kevin cooks so much amazing food by feel. And so a lot of it was that uh, learning kind of how to do it together. So he would, uh, we would talk through the full dish first. So I know kind of what we were working with. And then we would, every time he was going to put something in, you know, kind of do the the reverse measurement trick. We go, okay, here, I'd give him a, you know, two cups of an ingredient. And he'd cook by feel and I'd measure what was left. Oh, that's really smart. That's like like a SAT problem or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that works really well. And then you keep checking it. But eventually by the end, Kevin was getting measurements in his head. He's like, that's going to be three quarter cup of chicken bouillon powder, two heaping tablespoons of cayenne. Oh, but right. okay. I'll tell you, my, my great, I feel like in a certain degree, you know, despite all the restaurant stuff we've done, I think one of my favorite achievements uh, of, of this whole process working with Kev was that when we were shooting the uh, the cookbook, we were doing the recipes for the photo shoot. I would give a recipe to a cook at Blood Sows. Uh, shout out to Paula, who's amazing. Oh my, and, oh my and, God, Paula's amazing. <laughs> and she had never cooked the dish before, had never talked to us about how to do it. I gave her the recipe. She cooked it, brought it out to Kevin. I didn't even taste it. And he said it tastes like he made it. And that to me is... That's like the dream if you're writing a cookbook is for it to work that well. Paula cooked. I didn't cook not one thing uh, at our event uh, Saturday. Paula made the lamb rub. Paula made the uh, the fish batter. Paula like made the curry for curry. the oxtails. Crown, crown, uh, uh, she smoked oxtail and uh, braised them. And, uh, and everything was a hit. And she did. And if I said something... Call it so and so so. She said it's it's from the recipe from the book, and then I would taste it, and it was it was perfect. I mean, it's and like I said, when I when it uh, I still haven't even I haven't read the book yet, if you can believe that. Because <laughs> right. it's still it's still so emotional to me when I open uh, it up. But then the other day, just to uh be at that event and take and really, it, it took me a minute to keep realizing everything was cooked out of the book. And when like people were saying, "Damn man, y'all need to sell that uh that fish fry," I'd be like, "It's in the book. Do it yourself," you know. <laughs> and uh, and that's when you know that me and no, and that was you know, yeah, I had the recipes and all that, but Noah was the stickler on getting the right amounts and all that, man. And and, and you know, now seeing it and understand it and know that we make one of the easiest to understand. I mean, the compliments we are getting from so many people is like, "Damn man, it's like talking to you." It's like you in my kitchen talking to me. The recipe is so easy. And that's what we, and, and sometimes, you know, we'll go back and forth. Remember about some of that. I'll be like, no, no, I want that. I just want it to be easy for them, you know? And we say yeah. in the book, some of them are a little more uh, a deeper, but, you know, I mean, like making gravy. A lot of people, I don't want to be sexist in them, but, you know, a lot of women love to make gravy and don't know how to bake it. <laughs> and we, we taught them how to make, it, you know, the easy way. And taught them how to enhance it. 
I say everybody, but you know what I mean? We're still in this world, still the majority of people in the kitchen are, are women. And I'm not trying to be, we know it's a lot of men that cook and it's equal. It was equal in my household, but a, a lot of them are intimidated about cooking certain things. And we try to make it, we don't want this cookbook to just be for men. We want this cookbook mm-hmm. to be for everybody. You know, that's a good point. Cause it's, it's funny how sometimes like a gender people think of barbecue and grilling as like a man's thing where, you know, <laughs> and it's everybody, it's so many yeah. women that work the grill and all that. So I wanted to make it as easy as, uh, as possible uh, for them. Cause like I say, you know, the chef is a, a man dominated world, which is slowly changing restaurant chef. Still the, the chef in the house, nine out of 10 times is mom. So, you know, mm-hmm. and you got to make it easy for her. I was going to ask you, you mentioned that you haven't read the book because it's so emotional for you. And I, the, I mean, I just got my hands on it, so I haven't been able to read all of it, but I really enjoyed the parts at the beginning that you talk about your mother and, and, and your parents, but, but your mom, I, I think was a black Panther or she was, uh, um, black. She, she always think they come in to get her. So the both FBI, so she always say Black Panther sympathizer. You sympathizer. Know. Okay, got it. <laughs> my dad but, was at LA, so we yeah. all was together on Easter, and we sat and talked about the book. And that's what they they got to talking about because my dad was at LAPD, so they got to talking about the uh, the SLA thing. And my dad was uh, when they, you know, the uh, when the FBI and LAPD had him uh, up on Fifty Fourth when they shot up the house and all that. And my mother and they. They got to arguing about that because my dad was a cop on the scene and he was like, I got them Gene probably calling, giving them a heads up and shit, you know. <laughs> but they was arguing about that. My mother's like, I've never said nothing, ain't nothing on this or that. So that was just funny. <laughs> There's a great story in there that you tell about um, a white woman who lived in Compton. Miss, who was Miss a, Lee. Miss Lee, who's <laughs> racist and would be racist when she got drunk. And that your, your mom would tell you, don't don't take the bait. Don't deal with her. And then the she, uh, next morning, yeah, can you tell that story. She thought my mother, Miss Lee, uh, and you know, and I and I, I don't really want to call her a race. She was a drunk. When she gets drunk, she was some racist. But <laughs> okay. it's one thing my mother taught me early, and my granny taught was tolerance. And not, I'm not kissing nobody's ass. Couldn't hold, no, couldn't hardly nobody see me head up on them cops the streets fighting. But my mother taught me tolerance and understanding, mm-hmm. and, and that it's a difference between ignorance and racism. Now mm-hmm. she's ignorant and she got racist views, but when she gets drunk, her racist, her ignorant comes out before racism comes out. You understand what I'm saying? Always, mm-hmm. Not to get off that story, but I remember people, you know, black people, we didn't like Archie Bunker. You know, and my father used to say, why don't you want why you, you know, you always say that people show black people in the wrong way on TV. Archie Bunker is the ignorantest white man in the world. You know what I mean? Archie Bunker was something that when you started watching it from that angle and you realized it, it was hilarious. You know, so mm-hmm. then the same thing with Miss Miss Lee. I guarantee if she gets drunk and I'm outside on Friday night or something, I'm getting called the N-word. But then the next morning, she's sitting out there feeling bad as hell, hungover, drinking damn uh, uh, Bloody Mary, so get sober, and got one little trash can out there. And I said, I'm going to make me 20. Like, hey, Kevin. Can you come up here and take my trash can out of here? I'll take it out. You know, one tray, and this is like 74, 75. So you're giving a little 10-year-old boy $20 for taking out your trash. And you know, that wasn't nothing but guilt money, you know. And uh, so I would take, come back with, my mother said, boy, give me $10 of that guilt money. You know, the whole way. But right. it, was a, it was a lesson. And then, like I said, her later years, who took care of her? My mother took care of her. 
My mother mm. took care of Miss Lee basically until she passed away. And she had kids and stuff. She didn't trust nobody but my mother. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, you know, that's a really beautiful story. That's yeah. like a surprising. You don't expect to read stuff like that in a cookbook, but that's what makes the book so great is that it's not just recipes. It's, it's personal. It's too. A, that's, and that's what we want to do. We wanted, and, you know, I didn't know nothing about writing a cookbook. And Noah, but that was Noah, was, he wanted the stories. Because we always, whether we're out of town, we sit back and we have drinks. And, you know, you, you know, Noah tells stories and I tell stories, but they just thought my stories were remarkable. And a couple of times I think they thought I was BS. And so I would call somebody. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, I'm going to call my auntie. I'm up and let them tell the story. And they would tell the exact same story. And it just amazed Noah and James. And, you know, that's how it came apart. apart. But that's what we wanted. We didn't, we tried to do, even from the cover to everything, we tried to do something different with a cookbook, you know? Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess the question that I would have is like, how do you think all these experiences lent themselves to your food? Like, you know, as, as weird a question as that is, it's like people say you cook from the heart, you cook from the soul. So how do you think like your childhood and all this stuff like manifests itself in the I mean, food that, that you make? Yeah, that goes to the book too. When, when do you mostly talk with the family sitting around eating dinner, mm-hmm. you know? So why not use our book and love our memories and create your own memories, you know? Yeah. Dad, I remember mean, the first time, Mama, we made that you was cooking something out of the Bledsoe cookbook and this and that. We were talking about my prom or talking about this and that. So that's what we wanted. We wanted you to make, we want you to take that book and make your own memory, mm-hmm. you know, because they are memories. And, and that's why it's so hard for me to read it because it just brings back memories. You know, mm-hmm. I, I miss my granny, you know, moms and pops are getting older now. And then just, it's like, you know, we, Knowing them be sitting around, I'll call my uncle just to let them hear him and let them hear clowning and all that, you know. And and we talk every nothing was off limits in my mm-hmm. house, no matter what. And then like Randy would say, it's humor in everything. And that's where we we've gotten wrong there. Like somebody had posted a picture like, damn, we could accept more right after civil rights and in the 70s of just people laughing. It's funny things about black people. It's funny things about whites. It's funny things about gays. It's funny things about everybody. But now nobody wants to fucking laugh at themselves. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you can tell any kind of joke to me as long as it's coming from the heart and you're trying to get a laugh. Now, if you're a hateful-ass person and you stand, that's the difference. Yeah, You understand? But we let the hateful people win because now can't nobody crack jokes about that. Right. You know, and like I said, I can, on my way to my sister's funeral, and that's what my dad said, Joe family is crazy. We're in there cracking jokes. Hardest mm-hmm. day around. You understand yeah. what I mean? And that's what no, and it did, came yeah. to play. What she said, there's humor in everywhere. But, you know, it just depends on where it's coming from. You know, my granny used to always say, I don't like racist joke. I don't like, remember I told you, no, I don't like no racist joke. I don't tell them. I don't think people should ever tell no racist jokes. I'm 87 years old and I don't tell them. So I'm only going to tell one. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so are there recipes in the book that, um, the, because you mentioned, Noah mentioned that there's non-barbecue recipes. I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet. So which of the recipes that aren't barbecue are the most personal to you or the ones that are the most meaningful to you? Oh, the, the soul food, the smothered chicken, uh, mm-hmm. all that, all of the soul food, the, uh, you know, my uh, L.A. culture, the uh, red chili burritos, the uh, oxtail mm-hmm. video, uh, it's, it's all kinds of them. You know, like, you know, Pops over the Cops, right? It's some of the best hood neighborhood restaurants around. So uh, yeah. I fell in love with all types of different cultures of food. So they all in there. I can't really say I got a, a 
favorite. Uh, <laughs> you know Noah, what mine is? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say Noah Love them Pinto beads. So you can talk about uh, that. Well, yeah. Well, also, but then like every time I make those, I think of your story telling me that you'd be, you know, uh, coming home from school and it's cold out and the windows fogged up and your mom's got the pot of pinto beans on the stove with the with the smoked neck bones in there and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's I mean, it's that kind of stuff is incredible. And that's and that's the thing, too, with these talking about, you know, making memories with food is a lot of this stuff, even the, you know, the the stovetop dishes, there's a lot of slow and low cooking on these, too, that that, you know, it's stuff you put on in the morning and you're cooking all day or you're watching, you know, a game or you're hanging out with your family. And then you know that you can smell it all day for six, seven hours while you're, you know, you've got, you know, curry going for your oxtails. You got, you know, pinto beans cooking. You're doing smothered, uh, you know, turkey wings and things like that. Like it's, it's incredible. I, yeah. I was just thinking about too, that, you know, this was, we wrote most of this during kind of the, the peak of the pandemic. And so I'd come back from Texas and I'd have to recipe test everything. So now I wrote it. I want to make sure it works on a different kitchen, different. I got to find the ingredients in LA, wherever, and try to make it it's easier to find, you know, smoked neck bones in a, in an HEB in, in Texas than it is, you know, at a Whole Foods in, in Burbank. But uh turns out the answer is actually a Walmart in Burbank. But anyway, <laughs> and so, but you're cooking all these giant, amazing family meals, but it's just my wife and I in quarantine at home. So I had this, I've got like the happiest neighbors in the world, but I had like an email thread. <laughs> People would show up with Tupperware and I'd load them up with, okay, here's collard greens. Here's red beans and rice. Now here I got a seafood boil. <laughs> I got nice. shrimp and grits today. And uh, we, we fed the neighborhood. <laughs> You're probably very popular now in your neighborhood, I'm sure. Yeah, um, we moved, unfortunately, but uh, the new neighbors uh, still get some good food too. <laughs> so in terms of like barbecue, when you when you guys go together, I mean, do you guys check out or Kevin, do you go to the other barbecue places that pop up in L.A. and some new like when you go to a barbecue place, what do you order to see if you think that they're any good? I'm such a weirdo. I mean, no, you remember what my favorite is at a barbecue restaurant? Sausage. <laughs> sausage. OK. I okay. love sausage. I mean, it's to the point now get so known and. I don't even like going. I'll send somebody because I still like, like I was in my room last night and I, I was just telling Jimmy and my God, uh, and I was checking out, going into another room today. And I said, damn it. I was in the room last night late uh, with some Hennessy and some JR barbecue in the bed and this barbecue sauce <laughs> out on the sheets and I'm walking <laughs> out and the, uh, the maid was coming in. I meant to pull, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I, 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 I'm still a barbecue fan. Like I got I had JR's in a, uh, Culver City last night. It was good sausage and ribs. I love the sausage. I still love good barbecue, you know, mm -hmm. and still I've, I've had barbecue all over the world and I, I love all kind of different places. But still, as far as I can, I barely eat our barbecue because you already know what, what it's supposed to taste like. Only time I'm tasting our barbecue, so I feel it don't look right. And I'm about to get somebody's ass about it. But uh, <laughs> I still like wood when I come to LA. I still like Woody's and Phillips barbecue. I still, my son, Still has this picture. We had just had my brother's repast, and um, you know we had Bloodsville's barbecue cater uh, cater the repast at the uh, Compton House. And then I, you know, later on, later on, my son was taking me to the hotel because I had to catch a flight out the next morning. And I said, "Man, stop by Woody's. I want some Woody's." You know, and he got to pitch me in, in line at Woody's. You know, here my dad is Bloodsville barbecue this and that, but he still goes to. Woody's barbecue to, to show love and all that. And I do, you know, cause that was my first like 
L.A., real barbecue for L.A. back in the day. So, you know, I always uh, pay my respects for them. But uh, if me and Noah together, of course, we, you know, we try everything, you know, but we could take one bite or something. And then we don't feel it's right. But I'm it's not on me to critique their business. I would never right. go online and talk about nobody's business. I know people that do that, especially, you know, I have a huge following. And uh, I won't say no names, no, but you know who I'm talking about. And this guy mm-hmm. would always go and talk about people's work. And I just thought that was messed up, you know. And still people, I can say I'm somewhere eating or whatever, whatever. And I just say, go try it for yourself. Try it for yourself, you know. Because, you know, everybody out here trying to do the right thing, everybody out here struggling. And I hate if you have, un- unless that restaurant did something to you. Mm-hmm. But if you go out there and just, you don't like their barbecue and go ahead, you've got enough following with you and lose them customers. I think that's horrible. And I, w- I would never do that about anybody's barbecue. But as far as us talking and whatever, we get together or whatever, whatever, we talk about it. But, uh, you know, I wish everybody the best. And I- I- I'm going to say it again. If you're going to do barbecue, just don't do bad barbecue. But I don't, I just don't think for some of it, I don't think it's our place to say nothing negative about nobody else's restaurant. Uh, today, it's fun going to even non-barbecue restaurants with Kev, especially in L.A. where people know him. I mean, I guess now with Netflix shows and stuff, Kev, people know Kev everywhere. But, you know, like, you know, we opened on La Brea near, near Moza and we used to bring them barbecue and they'd come in all the time. So we go like with Kev to Key Spaka and like Nancy comes out to say hi and all that stuff. Then at Smorgasburg on Sunday for our event, I mean, all the people coming up, I mean, like Goat Mafia, because they're they're based out of Compton. They were so excited to meet Kev. People are bringing us taquitos from their spot and, and you know, all this stuff from all their different places. And they were just so excited to get to share their food with Kevin. And I just get to be in the blast radius and enjoy it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm curious in terms of like all the different barbecue, you know, we talked about geography and that not really mattering, but in terms of the variables that you that you have at your disposal when you're making barbecue. It seems like you have different kinds of smoke, you have different kinds of rubs, different kinds of, you have wet, you have dry. So uh, what are the, what are, what are your thoughts? I guess, I mean, you know, not to put one over the other, but why do you choose the methods that you choose? And what, you know, why are they? I mean, it's just really, it's the only really difference in the regions, Adam, is woods that you use. Uh, okay. And that's where California, where we messed up at. I mean, I'm addicted to buying wood in Texas because it's so cheap. I mean, I got enough wood and I don't even have a restaurant there, but I got enough wood to probably cook for three or four years because I I think like a quarter hickory out here is almost a thousand dollars in LA. Mm. And in Texas, you get a quarter hickory for like two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars. So really uh wood is cheap and that's that's the biggest uh uh thing. You know, you're gonna cook what's what's, you know, mostly to your region, you know, in Texas, the oaks. Uh, Memphis, the hickories, Georgia, the peach woods, Carolina, the oaks and the hickories. So you're going to cook what's your region. As far as uh, wet and dry, I still don't understand uh, what they say. Uh, a, a, a wet, there's no such thing as really a wet rub. They all are still dry. The wet is how you finish it. Are you going to mop it and have sauce with it at the mm-hmm. end? You know, uh, there's no wet. You got some wet, that's a marinade. And most people hmm. aren't really putting a marinade on the rib or whatever, whatever. But wet is, are you going to put sauce on it before it comes off? Which is mostly L.A. Most L.A. restaurants have sauce on it. Mm-hmm. You know, we stayed authentic Texas and put sauce on the side, which was a horrible problem. I ain't got no sauce on my barbecue, but <laughs> now we got them. Because of us and TV and all that. Because like I said, we, when we opened uh, Countdown, we had good barbecue, but the timing was perfect. 
You know, mm-hmm. food TV was just starting to get big, the barbecue shows and all that. Uh, by the time we opened up Hollywood, we was already there. So we was able to put sauce on the side, you yeah. know, do it with the butcher paper, the way I was raised on doing it, you know. But as far as I'm concerned, that's that's the main thing. Most of them are slow and low. Uh, most of the restaurants, you know, Carolina, some of them don't do rips, some of them do whole hogs. I mean, my granny in Texas wouldn't even do chicken back in the day, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I said, our uh, our chicken recipe is a recipe that we came up with that we mix what we do in Texas and what what LA do with the uh, Mexican uh, street vendors with the uh, with the polo, and we mix that, and that's how we came up with our how we do our chicken, and that's 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 LA all day, you know. So it's it's really just the smoke. It sounds so the, the wood is the main yeah. differentiation. And yeah. so in the cook in the cookbook, is it hickory? Is that what is that what you recommend? No, we use we use different ones, but we use mostly ours is red oak, posto, and pecan. That's our, that's mostly our blade. And is it possible if you don't have, if somebody's listening to this and they're in New York and they don't have an outdoor space, I mean, I've seen on some of these shows, like chefs, like in their, in, you know, in the kitchen, will take like a hotel pan and like feed like a tube into it with like smoke. Is it, you know, is it possible, I guess I'm asking to do barbecue uh, we indoors? Know, we, we know, I ain't gonna say it's possible, we ain't doing this. Because <laughs> we made one, like I said, we made it. I mean, you gotta have a bounty. Made it. Uh, that's why we put other stuff in the in the uh, book. <laughs> if you at least can't get a hibachi or one of those small Weber's out there, there's some other recipes in the book. You can't do nothing with none of those. We can't help. Okay. And and Noah, did you test all these? You said you tested all these at home. Every and, single one. Yeah. Some of them took a few more tests than others, but for the most part, they all. I, I was yeah. The, the hardest ones were sometimes stuff that. We're just scaling it down. I mean, I don't think Kevin had ever cooked gumbo for less than 75 people before. Right. <laughs> so trying okay. to make one that feeds, you know, 12 to 16 or whatever took, took some, you know, and that's, you know, trying to get, you know, the right ratios on your roux and all that stuff. But, but yeah, we tested everything at my house. And uh, yeah, and it was funny. Kev always told me, you know, when I opened blood cells, I was, you know, you're smoking, working 20 hours a day. You're making so much barbecue. And I was done with it by the time I finished, you know, running that kitchen. And Kev said, you'll see one day you're going to have fun in the backyard smoking something just for yourself for fun. And I said, I I don't know. And then doing this book, I finally had to buy a smoker again and, you know, doing (laughs) two chickens and a rack of ribs, one brisket instead of, (laughs) instead of 60, you know what I mean? So it sounds uh, like more fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, you're just drinking a beer, sitting outside and uh, enjoying the day. It's, it's a, it's a nice thing. So as a final question for this part of the podcast, um, is there a recipe that either of you or both of you are most proud of, or, um, the one that you tell people would tell people to try first out of the book? Most proud of is tough, but, uh, Cause I'm kind of proud of most, all of them. They were, they all <laughs> or like so the best work. starting point, maybe like the recipe where you would tell people start here. This is the place to start. Where, what would you say? We always say start on chicken. When you're learning how to barbecue, start on chicken because it's a cheaper cut of meat. It's a faster cut of meat. So it's, you know, two and a half hours on a chicken. If you're learning your pit and you're doing, you know, a brisket or a pork shoulder and you're messing up and you got a 14 hour window and an expensive cut of meat, if you're yeah. doing it with a chicken, you know, you can learn it. You can really taste the difference on, on your woods and really get the nuance on it. So that's, we always say, we say in the book that you should, you should start on chicken when you want to, when you're learning the barbecue side. And then on the non-barbecue side, I, I'm, I'm in the bag for the pinto beans, but also Kevin's collard greens are legendary. And if it's raining on that day, uh, flip, rinse the chicken off and fry it. We got a excellent fried chicken recipe. Oh, in there yeah. too. Wow. 
and it's nice and quick and easy and it's real good. I'd love to, Kevin really wanted to make sure that, cause you know, you see all these recipes in that for fried chicken that it was amazing, but it takes like three days. Mm-hmm. It's a wet brine and then you season it and then you let it air dry and you batter it, all that stuff. And, uh, Kev really wanted to make a recipe for fried chicken where like a single mom could come home from work and be able to make fried chicken for dinner for her family. And it's fast and it's incredible. Try that pork chop sandwich, uh, Adam. I'm going to try all of it. I'm oh, so yeah. hungry right now. You guys are making me hungry. Well, thank you so much for doing this part of the podcast. Stick around. We're going to ask you 10 quick barbecue questions and then you'll be on your way. Thank you so much. Right. Of course. All right, folks, that's it for this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Show. If you want to listen to my bonus episode where I ask Kevin Bledsoe and Noah Gluten 10 feisty barbecue questions, that's coming tomorrow for paid subscribers of my Substack newsletter. If you want to subscribe to that, just sign up by going to amateurgourmet.substack.com and become a paid subscriber. And in the meantime, if you haven't already, go out and buy... Kevin and Noah's brand new book, The Bloodsoe Family Cookbook, Barbecue, Soul Food, and Family from Compton to Corsicana. All right, well, I'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening.